will rest under his feet. And when Jesus was born of a virgin and he stepped forward in ministry, God himself was taking back the land. God himself was ushering in a new life, a new kingdom, a new peaceful rule under his authority that all of us can be part of. But to be part of the kingdom of God that is at hand requires change. It requires us being different than the citizens of the earthly kingdom. Today in my Bible study, I talked a little bit about culture shock. We are citizens of another country. Our passport says heaven. We just have a green card here. We are walking through this as exiles and as strangers. And our life is dictated by a different constitution, by a different way of life. And there's going to be some changes. And our kingdom doesn't look like this kingdom. It seems like an upside-down kingdom in many ways. So what does it mean that it's an upside-down kingdom? Well, we begin by talking about who the people of the kingdom are. And there are a lot of things that this world doesn't celebrate or honor or value. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. So let's just go through verse 1 through 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now all of that stands in very sharp contrast to the messages we hear in our society about self. Because the world's perspective on self, particularly for the last 50 years or so, is that you're the best. You're special. You're a superstar. Since the 70s and 80s, there has been a self-esteem indoctrination where children were told they were precious and perfect. If you can conceive it, you can achieve it. You can be anything. You're wonderful. You're perfect as you are. You should be a superstar. And recently I heard, uh, I was watching a YouTube video where they were asking children what they wanted to be when they grew up. Now when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut or a fireman or a doctor or something like that, right? Well, 20% of children today, when they're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, they say, famous. Now what does that say about a mentality when their aspiration is really to be idolized and worshipped and fawned over and praised. The desire to be surrounded by yes men that say yes, everything you are and think and do is wonderful. We see this on social media. Everyone is curating their lives to look perfect. We don't want to show any flaws. We don't want to admit any flaws. 
educational systems in many places say you can't tell a child an answer is wrong. We have our younger generation showing up for job interviews, and before they want to know how they can grow, improve, and learn, they want to know their vacation, their bonus, and how many weeks before their CEO. There's a phenomenon now. I, don't, I know none of you are probably doing this, but there's a lot of dating apps out there. And they're finding that nobody is actually making any connections because everybody thinks they deserve the supermodel, the multimillionaire. There's a guy living in his mom's basement, unemployed, smokes three packs a day and is in a lot of debt, and he wants to... He expects that he deserves this woman of his dreams. And so any, anyone else to swipe away, swipe away, even though he looks a lot more like Barney Fife than Brad Pitt. There's this sense of aren't I wonderful and aren't I special that really is a disaster for us. Let's look at the kingdom of God versus the world. The kingdom says we should have poverty of spirit. The world says we should be self-righteous. In the kingdom, we have a posture of mourning, where in the world there's a celebration of self. In the kingdom, we're called to be meek and humble, where in the world we reward arrogance and pride. I was driving down the road on a Memorial, South Memorial, about 151st, and there's a church think it's a Methodist church in Bixby. And their sign says, God made us all good. Now, I don't want to assume too much. I would love to talk to the pastor about what he meant, because in a sense, humanity was created good. When God looked at man and woman, he said, this is not only good, it's very good. When God crafted Adam from the dirt, Lovingly with his hands, he created something to have relationship and love that was to be his representative in his image. But you see, that's chapter one and chapter two. And a lot of people today forget there was a chapter three. And chapter three was a cataclysm. Chapter three was a train wreck. It was a car crash. And that good and beautiful creation was marred. Because sin entered into us, and none of us have escaped it. All of us were broken in some way in that cosmic car crash, and we need healing, and we need restoration. I have a good friend that I went to ORU with that was raised in pretty sound foundational teachings from the Word that has drifted into what we call progressive Christianity. And I remember looking at one of her Facebook posts where she said, I need to repent to my children for filling their heads with the toxic idea that they were born sinners. This year, on Good Friday, there was an Australian group, I don't know if they claim to be a Christian group or not, called Cub Sport. And they released a song called Jesus at the Gay Bar on Good Friday. 
And the writer of the song talks about how Jesus is at the gay bar, and like the woman with an issue of blood, someone was reaching through the crowds to try to touch the hem of Jesus' garments for him to be healed. And Jesus turned and said, there's nothing in your heart that ever needs to be healed. We have to understand, God loves us. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the first thing we need to know is the truth about ourselves so that we can be free, that we can be healed, that we can be whole, that we can walk in the light. But we live in a world where we're afraid to even let anything about us be critiqued or criticized. We don't want to look inside and see what's really there. We want to paint over it and pretend it's glorious and sanctified and perfect and good, which is a dangerous denial that leads to death. I heard a story about a missionary in Africa, and he went to a remote village, and he gave them different, uh, different things, like a peace offering, a, a tribute to kind of establish relationship. And one of the things he gave them was a mirror. And he came back a week later, maybe a day later, and he went over to the fire pit, and he saw the mirror smashed into 100 pieces in the middle of the ashes. And he went to the witch doctor who he'd given it to, and he asked, what happened to the mirror? And the witch doctor said, every time I picked up that mirror, an ugly witch appeared to harass me, so I destroyed it. And that's us. We don't want to look in that mirror, but we have to. But one thing that I want to say is that when we go there, we go with Jesus because he has an answer. Going into my heart is like walking into a bad neighborhood. I don't want to go there alone. I want to go there with Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's an emphatic here. This is in the Greek emphatic. And what it's really saying is, for them and them alone, for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. The beginning of entry into the kingdom is a poverty of spirit, a moral bankruptcy. To recognize that any righteousness we give to God is filthy rags. It's scorpions. It's snakes. I hate to use too much old... Uh, old Calvinist talk, but the Calvinists said a lot of good things. We, apart from Christ, are in total depravity. We are wicked beyond cure. Our heart is deceitful above all things. Nothing good dwells in me. Every motive, apart from Christ, is stained and tainted and marred. We see this beautifully illustrated in Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went justified before God. And what we have to understand that when we come to the Lord, we have to have this posture to receive the blessing, to be beautiful, to be holy, to be righteous, to be free. We have to recognize the starting point, which is a mess. In Romans 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do it. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, but I, it's in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, I keep on doing it. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So we go on. And in verse 24, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And when he answered, when he asked that question, the answer comes immediately because there is a remedy. There is a hope. There is a comfort. We're not bound. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need the truth about ourselves. I have a slide here of a person speaking with a doctor. I don't like to go to the doctor. I don't want them to find anything. I want them to say, excellent, perfect, go on about your way. You're in perfect health. You'll live to 120, if not more. But thank the Lord for the doctor that will tell me the truth, that will show me my condition. And he doesn't say it like, you bad person, you have cancer. You bad person, you have high blood pressure. No. We have a problem. There's a solution. When I went, <laughs> Pastor Chris and I, we're, we're going to Lifetime Fitness. And one of the wonderful perks there is we get to meet with trainers there for a little assessment, you know. And uh, so Lucas spent some time with Pastor Chris doing the body fat check, and I think there was some blood work done, and he did the same for me. And I know you'll be shocked by this, but Lucas did not say, you are the perfection of health and physical beauty. We want you to be the poster children of Lifetime Fitness. Ready for your photo shoot, you're going to be on our website. That was not said. There was an honest assessment of work that needed to be done. And we have to be available and open to look inside and know who we are and compare that to who we need to be and who we can be, not in our strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need an Isaiah moment. You remember when Isaiah walked into the temple 
We'll, we'll read this account. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with the other wings they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We all need to be able to open our eyes and see the King who is holy, holy, holy. And then any illusions about our righteousness and our goodness and our perfection and that God should be happy to have me on his team should disappear in a puff of smoke. And yet, there's another picture of entering the temple. And that's when we come with the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. This isn't a story of, woe to you sinners. This is a story of, there's an opportunity for healing. There's an opportunity for sanctification. There's an opportunity for growth. When the veil was cut in two, Hebrews says, enter boldly into the throne room. And you will receive mercy, and you will receive grace. Those are the two options when we go before our Father. But we have to go humbly first and recognize that we have no righteousness, and it's only the righteousness of Christ that gives us entry. But just because we walk in boldly, and just because we expect grace and mercy, sometimes that grace and mercy is a real picture of Sin and brokenness and damage that he can restore to us. We don't just get born again and then get zapped into perfection. How many of you have struggled with sin since you became a believer? You know, Edwin Lutzer, I would listen to him talk on the radio the other day, and he, was, and he was being asked, well, are there any Christians that don't struggle with sin? He's like, yeah, there's lots of them. I can give you their names. They're all in heaven. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a process. We do ourselves no favors when we don't look inside, when we don't allow ourselves to let the master search us and help us. So I'd like to look at Psalm 139. Verses 23 to 24. And this is a prayer that we should say with humility and a little bit of bracing. You know how it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? This is a prayer where there's a little trembling that's probably warranted. But remember, God's the one doing the searching. God's the doctor that has the cure. He does it in love. He does it in grace. You are precious. You are valuable. And he wants to make you his precious, virgin, spotless bride. We want to get to heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But we have to keep short accounts. We have to keep ourselves open to his eye and his heart and his spirit to find those ways in us that need to change. 
says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as I said, this is a process, and it's a process of love and grace. Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved until I set him free. God sees the image of Jesus in the marble, in the sin, in the dirt, in the filth, in the grime, but he sees it, and he's going to chip away, and he's going to prune, and he's going to draw that forth so that you can be a trophy of his grace, so that you can live the life that gives him honor, and you can push back the darkness. Jesus promised us we don't do it on our own. He does the work in us. But we have to come to him in our poverty, lay open before him, and say, Surgeon, I'm ready. Operate. In Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we may come to him every morning and say, Show me what's wrong with me. And guess what? He will. And we might get discouraged. And we may feel like I'll never make it. But Jesus promised us if we come to him in that posture of spiritual poverty, he will work it out. He will do it. He will accomplish it. You will be beautiful in his time. God promises he's going to make you beautiful in his time. So don't be afraid of what's not beautiful now. God's got that. God knows that. When he finds something in me he wants to change, we should be excited it's a chance to grow. It's a chance to be more like Jesus. We don't shirk away in shame. We go, okay, God, do what you got to do. Take this out of me. Live in me. Be that living water in me that springs forth. But we need to do this on a regular basis. When Jesus said, come to me who thirst, and I will make living rivers of living water pour out of you, we've got to keep coming and keep drinking. And part of that is this Asking him to show us where we're off. Because if we don't do that, we come away from the well with a bucket with a hole in it. And it drains out. And then we're back where we were. We need to stay connected. We need to stay abiding. We need to stay under his care, under his hand, under his eyes. Now, he's going to make beauty from ashes. He's going to change us all into his image if we'll let him. Let's not be afraid to search ourselves. We can let the Holy Spirit do it. He'll do it in grace. He'll do it in love. We can let the Word do it. It speaks to us. We can let our brothers and sisters into our life to speak to us. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about small discipleship groups where we have intimate relationships with people to where my life is open to you and your life is open to me and we can speak to one another. And sometimes that speaking might be a truth that's uncomfortable for us. And that's why it needs to be a trusting, vulnerable, grace-filled and humble relationship. But we're never going to be the church we're called to be. We're never going to be the believers we're called to be. We're never going to push back the darkness. We're never going to take ground for the kingdom if we don't start with our own spiritual poverty every day asking, Lord, make me more like you. Now, I had a lot more to share. But I really feel like, well, I know it's 12 o'clock. 
But I also want to say this. Everything in the Lord's timing is his timing. And maybe this is just one thing we need to chew on. To ask ourselves, am I walking around in denial about what's still there that doesn't please you? Am I hiding who I am from myself, from God, and from others? And am I willing to open my life up for the master physician to look at me at every place and heal it and restore it? So as our praise team comes up, as we sing our final song, I'd like you, where you're sitting or up at the, up at the altar, on the kneelers, to come and ask, God, search my heart. Is there anything offensive in me? Is there anything that displeases you? Is there anything that grieves you? Where am I living, falling short of who you want me to be? This shouldn't be scary because there's no judgment here. If you're in Christ, there's no judgment here. There's just an opportunity to be free and loved and useful in ways we never have been.